It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Discord. Links in the description. This week's episode, PG&E Shenanigans and Tomfoolery. I've been yeah, wanting to PG&E. do this one. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, ETA. Cor- corruption and complete disregard for human suffering. Well, this is one of those ones where at first you might think there's really not enough for a whole episode. But once you start looking, yeah, you could do many, many episodes on all of PG&E's stuff over the years that they've done. It's uh, quite a a lot of shenanigans. And for Mm -hmm. our listeners who aren't from California... Pacific Gas and Electric. Is oh right, right. Our yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. Pacific Gas and Electric. Yeah, they. Uh, they have monopoly on our electricity and gas, pretty much out here in Cali. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's not unusual. But from what I understand, a lot of places, if it's a monopoly like this, it's actually sort of a government entity. It's like a municipal, not a private for-profit company, with you know shares and all that fun stuff. But all right, before we get started, let's say hello to our live audience. Hello, live audience. It's very small this hello. week, but we got, uh, we got, let me see, I got to make the font a little bit bigger here. So we got Higher Theories Podcast. We got Bernicus <laughs> and uh, Bernicus, appropriate for this episode, and Donut Slayer. Hell yeah. Dude, I freaking, if I could, I would butt chug donuts. Yeah, Frothy Chan was here a moment ago, but they took off. I'm not sure where they went. Yeah, maybe they'll be back later. But yeah, it's a very awkward time for a live show, unfortunately, for most people. But when you when you can make it, we really appreciate it. So thanks for being here. Anyways, oh, yeah. let's get to it. Pacific Gas and Electric. It has uh, The headquarters are in San Francisco, California, and it's the largest provider of electricity in the United States. It's investor-owned and for-profit. I think I already mentioned that. (laughs) The company was formed in 1905 by the merger of the San Francisco Gas and Electric Company and the California Gas and Electric Corporation. Those companies go back to the 1800s. I think maybe the 1870s or something. Oh, check it out. Look who just arrived. It's Gweezy. Welcome to the show, Gweezy. What's up, Gweezy? So most people might say, oh man, this thing goes back all the way back to the 1800s with a name like Pacific Gas and Electric. That sounds like a good old fashioned, wholesome American company, right? Hell yeah. Sure. Well, we're talking about it on this show. So (laughs) (laughs) my topic is the wildfires, specifically the ones in 2017, mostly. I mean, I mentioned a little bit of other stuff. Maybe we'll get to depending, but uh, mostly the 2017 wildfires. PG&E has been found guilty of criminal negligence in many cases involving fires. Now, that's a quote from Wikipedia. I just want to point that out because um, I don't want to get sued by PG&E. So that's I, that's not my... <laughs> I didn't say it. That's from Wikipedia. They said that they've been found guilty of criminal negligence in many cases involving fires. So I think if they were found guilty, I don't think they can actually sue you if that was... You know, <laughs> that's not... What is it? Libel or slander? I always get them mixed up. Well, they did 
file for bankruptcy, right? And they're coming out of bankruptcy now. Oh yeah, oh they went yeah they went hella bankrupt. <laughs> was that after 2017? Yeah, I think the that was going on last year. I mean, it had been going on mm-hmm. since 2019, I think, but. Yeah, they just started finishing that stuff up like last year. Well, you know, that's actually yeah. why we have rolling blackouts. They're planned power outages. Yeah. And there's somebody with um, utility regulations in the power industry, some expert. He's written like regulations for the United Nations. His name is Greg Pallast. Yeah. And he says that the reason we have rolling blackouts is because PG&E is blackmailing the judge overseeing the bankruptcy case. Really? He says, you know, because the victims and the bondholders got together and they're basically threatening to eliminate the equity, the rich and powerful, these shareholders, that this is their their reaction. Interesting. Hmm, That's kind of crazy. You know, one thing I was kind of wondering about was like, how much money does this damn company have on the side? Now, you know, you know, they're filing for bankruptcy, so that not a whole lot, but like the amount of lawsuits that they've been in, involved in and the amount of money that they paid out, it's like, Jesus Christ, that's it's a lot of that's more money than I'll ever see in my life by far, you know. Well, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves there, but um the punchline to this yeah, whole thing. I just want to make a little the punchline of this whole thing is is when they get sued and they owe a ton of money, they can actually tack that onto the ratepayers' bills. So <laughs> Oh yeah. Yay yeah. us. Yay us. But yeah, so that's Yay. how they that's how they can pay all this money is they don't actually have to pay all this money. So everybody's excited about electric vehicles. So I looked into it a little bit. And if you're tearing up, meaning if you're using more electricity than they designate for your household, you could end up paying over two hundred dollars a month for the privilege of charging that electric vehicle at your house. Yeah. So the way that mm-hmm. works is PG and E gives you uh, gives you an allotment saying, okay, this is how much you're supposed to use of power. Now, of course, that's a very small number that nobody uses. And you go over that, you go up to the next tier. And then if you go over that, you go to the next tier and so on and so forth. Each tier becomes more and more expensive. By the time you get to tier four, you're in the absurdly priced range for electricity. And we have some of the most expensive electricity, not just in the state or country, but actually in the entire world, thanks to PG&E. So that's, I mean, part of that is the way they do that tiered system. And they also, depending on how you choose your building or your building, your billing, they may also do it um, based on the time of day. So it's pretty complicated, almost like an airline schedule, right? How they do their billing. But uh, end of the day, it's just expensive. It's way more expensive than it should be anyways. But all right, let's get to the wildfires a little bit. So a couple of highlights of the wildfires that they've been found guilty of. The 1994 Trowner Fire, the 1999 Pendola Fire, Sims Fire and Fred's Fire in 2004, Fire and Explosion in San Francisco in 2005, the 2008 Rancho Cordova Gas Explosion, the 2010 San Bruno Pipeline Explosion, and the 2015 Butte Fire, and plenty more. That's just a very, very small... I'm just going over just a handful of them that you may or may not have seen in the news. By the way... Butte is B-U-T-T-E, and I got to say, it's taken all my willpower to not pronounce that butt. And you just did. <laughs> the so. 2015 butt fire. There you go. I had yeah, to say the, it. The E is silent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally silent. But actually, of all their fires, I want to I focus on one that specifically affected me personally. At one point, it was actually a seasonal event to evacuate in the middle of the night as fires were closing in. I mean, where I live. We live in Santa Rosa, California in Sonoma County. 
And luckily, or unluckily for us, PG&E keeps burning the damn area down <laughs> every damn year. Um, the last couple of years, we haven't had to evacuate, but there was actually three years in a row there where we did. So, you know, hopefully everything burned down and there's nothing left. We don't have to evacuate anymore. No, I don't but know. we still have to have planned power outages. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I, t I was going to mention that a little bit later. I wanted to mention it. Is part of like the, the <laughs> that's, that's sort of what, because of the fires, that's what we have now is, you know, but anyways, we'll get to that. So PG&E has a history of not maintaining equipment and not trimming trees around power lines. For example, they were found responsible for the 2015 Butte fire, which was caused by a tree coming into contact with the power line. This fire killed two people and destroyed hundreds of structures. But that was just an appetizer for what would come later on in 2017. The fires I'm talking about on this episode... <laughs> are also known as the Northern California Firestorm. And this happened in October of 2017, and it was a series of about 250 fires. 21 of these became major fires that burned over 245,000 acres. Another cool thing that happened in 2017 is that we got the return of the Korean zombie, who came back oh, after boy. a long hi hiatus to knock out Dennis Bermudez in the first round. Actually, watched that fight earlier. Sometimes I'll put on TV when I'm taking notes and that came on. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. He came back in 2017. So that was, you know, mm -hmm. a positive thing. It wasn't all bad in 2017, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be fighting uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, I think, on April 4th for the title. Oh, that would be a good fight. Oh, it, yes, it will. It, it will be. I think Volkanovsky might, he probably is likely to take it, but. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Korean Zombies, no no pushover. You know, yeah. The guy's pretty damn good. I'd like to see him win the title with the Twister. How awesome would that be? Dude, that would be the best thing ever. Yeah. What was that, Agent Ether? He does lots of kicks. Why would he do lots of kicks? I don't know. He does some kicks. <laughs> he's no, actually he's pretty well-rounded. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think he's pretty well-rounded, actually. He could probably win the fight anywhere. Anyways, let's get back to the show. I'm talking mostly about the Tubbs fire. That became the most destructive in California history until the next year in 2018. But we'll get to that later, maybe. I'll probably mention that briefly. The fires caused... $14.5 billion in damages, give or take. I've seen many different estimates, actually, for the 2017 fires. But uh, one number that seems to be more common is about $14, $15 billion, something like that. There's different ways to calculate that. And that's, that a, that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of cheddar. All right, mm -hmm. the weather in October was really bad or perfect for fires. It was really dry and really windy. Gusts of wind on the evening of October 8th were recorded up to 70 miles an hour. That's like hurricane wind speed. They were just gusts, but still, that's really fast. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, if you, if you were in the area, you're wondering if your house is going to get blown over. It was pretty crazy. So the fire yeah. spread from 1,000 acres to over 20,000 acres in a single day. And by October 14th, over 210,000 acres had burned. 90,000 people were evacuated from their homes. The fire spread so fast that when they hit the populated areas, people barely had time to get out of bed and to safety. There was no time to get dressed or grab any personal belongings or to even find pets. The stats of the fire don't really do it justice. When you drove around the area, it sort of felt more like a post-apocalyptic movie. And most people didn't even stay in the area, but 
we were lucky because we had a relative in Oakland who let us stay there while we were evacuated. Because there were no hotels. Yeah, no hotels, by the way. All the hotels were booked. Well, you get, you Mm -hmm. know, tens of thousands of people evacuated at the same time. I mean, people were driving everywhere. There was, the roads were backed up and everywhere you can imagine that you could stay, all the hotels, they're just gone all the way from here, all the way down to Southern California. There's nothing. But yeah, luckily, luckily we knew somebody. We could crash on their floor, you know? You know, some people describe the fire as being unnatural. Yeah. And there's a conspiracy going around that it, that it wasn't natural, that it, maybe it was um, PG&E burning the fires on purpose to create a rail system. So kind of clearing hmm. out, clearing out that brush. This. Did you hear about this? Yeah, yeah. And some eyewitnesses, some people say things were just gone, things that, you know, shouldn't be like concrete and mm-hmm. cars were just like burnt out husks, but it happened so fast. They say it shouldn't have been possible, but you know, um, when you have forest fires, when you have fires like this, I guess flames can reach up to a meter high. Wow. And it can get up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about the melting point of concrete. Yeah. Also, I was actually looking at some forums where people were discussing this. They were specifically looking at aerial photos of the um, Coffee Park neighborhood. And I, I know a couple people who used to live there. But I'm not super familiar with the homes, but a lot of homes here are not built on slabs. They're not built on foundations. They're built on, um, they have like a crawl space underneath of them. And the reason foundation. Yeah. The reason they do that is because the ground can shift and move quite a lot depending on where your house is built. So obviously the foundation, it'll be, it'll crumble under all that shifting. So they, they put the house on, you know, stilts basically, really short stilts, but still that way it can bend and flex a little bit more. But if you're looking at the aerial picture and you're not seeing concrete slabs, well, there probably weren't concrete slabs to begin with, and that's why they're not there. Lies. Or maybe they melted in the hot fires. No. That's also possible, I suppose. It was unnatural. <laughs> well, I even heard some crazy like conspiracies, and, and like I, I hate using that term, but like because cons- some conspiracies are real. You know, there's quite a few out there that are real and they are conspiracies, but. I remember hearing some people even like like theorize about like, oh, maybe it was like, you know, like a, a satellite laser array that actually like, you know, because of the unnatural damage that had been done to some of the, the objects around. I, 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 I mean, I got to be honest. I didn't believe that for a second. I'm like, well, why would they? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense why they would do that. Well, we don't even but have. Like I could see why some of the more. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we don't answer? even have the technology for those kinds of lasers. Even actually. If, if we wanted to. Okay. <laughs> Well, not that we know of in the public sphere. There are supposedly some uh, some satellites that have directed energy weapons, sort of like lasers. Now, of course, that would be classified, but there are rumors that those exist. Well, if I was going to say, if the technology doesn't exist here on Earth, maybe it exists somewhere out there in space. Ooh. So some people oh. theorize that the fires were actually started by aliens. Because why, why not? Because why man. <laughs> Travel thousands of light years to set a forest on fire. <laughs> I actually have all kinds of stuff about space lasers and uh, other theories as far as the fires go. But why don't you continue, Agent Anderson? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, please continue. By the way, by the way, I think space lasers would be a really cool name for a punk rock band. <laughs> there probably already is one. 
<laughs> probably, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> that that would be a, definitely an awesome name for a punk rock band, though. But anyways, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, so we were staying in Oakland, and at one point um, after the fires, you know, we were watching them on the map every day. A couple days after the evacuation, we saw the fires were getting closer and closer to the house where we lived. So I drove back to town, which is it's about an hour drive, give or take. To, to try to get some like family photos and some other things that I didn't have time to pack, you know, when we first left. So I just, you know, my, my desktop. Stuff that you couldn't replace. Yeah, I pulled, the, I pulled the hard drive on my desktop and I took some of the walls, the photos off the wall. You know, it's a couple of items like that because everything else like sofas and furniture and whatever, all that stuff can be replaced. You know, televisions, who cares? But like certain things like that, you can't, they're just irreplaceable. So I tried to grab as much of that stuff as I could. But when I drove back, like the freeways were kind of closed down and deserted. There was only an emergency vehicle here and there. And some of them were just parked kind of strangely, like just sort of blocking some of the lanes. And it just, it really looked like something out of an apocalyptic movie. And the the skies were just, it was just like smoke everywhere. Like you could barely see. And you had to turn on the, in your car, you know, you can turn on recirculating the air instead of the outside air. Because if you turn on the outside air, you'd probably get smoke inhalation. Like it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I went, you know, you get off the freeway and you go to the neighborhood and like, it was, it was just such a weird feeling. And like the, there was like an empty lot across the street from our house and they had the um, emergency people, which I don't know which entity it was, but they they had set up shop there as like sort of like a temporary headquarters in the area. And, you know, there was cops patrolling around trying to catch looters and stuff. The whole thing was just, it had a really weird feeling to it. So it's it was just sort of you know a strange memory, and that's what I mean by post-apocalyptic. Is uh, you know it's maybe it's hard to describe, but the the sunlight coming through the smoke made everything look like this murky orange. It was just really weird. But anyways, the firefighters firefighters from all over the world, about ten thousand firefighters, came to help fight the fire because you know locally we only have so many. I think you know the the there's even with ten thousand there's so many fires that they couldn't even begin to fight it. They just had to let a lot of it just burn itself out and try to protect as much of the, you know, much of the structures as they could. But it, it moved so fast that neighborhoods were overtaken in a matter of minutes. The ones that burned down the um, coffee park and fountain Grove, at least in Santa Rosa. And they had no chance to save those neighborhoods, but they did save a lot of other stuff, you know, they, and they, you know, really heroic effort on the parts of the firefighters they worked really long shifts and they, you know, they did a lot of good work on this fire. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I actually, I know like uh, exactly what you're talking about. And it's, I, you, you can't help but appreciate the holy hell out of these people that like just will show up and, and put whatever kind of effort that they can into it. There was even firefighters from India that, that flew halfway across the world to help. Nice. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, you, uh, dude, yeah. You can't appreciate people like that more, you know, like, like, wow, dude, like that's, that's, you know, that I can't imagine the, the flight that they took, let alone, you know, obviously they, they flew away from their families to a situation where they, they might, you know, come into great danger, you know, and they could lose their life potentially if they get this, themselves in the, into the wrong situation. Right. Yeah. And working like 48 hour shifts or whatever, just to, to try to save somebody else's business or house, you know? So, hey, <laughs> thanks to all those guys, you know, and gals, I'm sure, all everybody who helped out. The fire burned down about 5% of the houses in Santa Rosa. It burned about 36,000 acres. This is, so I'm talking about the numbers specifically for the Tubbs fire versus the, all of the fires that happened at this time. 
So the the Tubbs fire burned down 5% of the houses in Santa Rosa, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but the population here is uh, well over 200,000, I think. And already the housing market is really tight. So when it burned down 5%, it was just, I mean, nobody could get any sort of housing. And, I, you know, I could go on a rant about how, uh, about our housing situation at the time, which it all ended up working out, but we almost became homeless ourselves because our, you know, the people we were renting from wanted to sell because the housing price of housing shot through the roof. And before the fires were even put out, investors had already started pouring in and buying up everything because of course, you know, the prices are going to spike. It's just how the math works. So, you know, we lost the house we were renting in. We, it didn't burn down, but like I said, we got kicked out of it and they were nice enough about it. They gave us like six months or something to find a new place. So it's not, they weren't being jerks. You know, I would, I would have wanted to sell too, because the prices shot through the roof. We had a really hard time finding a place like it, you know, we got lucky to get the place that we did. But anyways, it's estimated that Santa Rosa lost $1.2 billion from this fire with an additional $100 million for fire suppression. $100 million to put out these fires in a town with 200 and some odd thousand people. Um, they just don't have the resources for this. You know, the there is a lot of money in the city, but not that much. You know, they just don't have that kind of resources. So the reason they call it the Tubbs Fire is that it started near Tubbs Lane in Calistoga, a remote small town, kind of a little touristy in Napa County. At about 9.40 p.m. on October 8th, people started calling in, reporting downed power lines and exploding transformers. At the time, the wind was gusting up to 41 miles an hour, and the fire moved more than 12 miles in the first three hours. There's a place up here, I don't know if they're still in business, they might be out of business now because of the fires, but... There was a place called the Safari West Wildlife Preserve, and that was in the direct path of the fires. But it was saved by the owner, Peter Lang, who at the age of 76, single-handedly fought the fire for 10 hours with garden hoses, saving over a thousand animals. Yeah, they're still, they're still around. <laughs> I know they're still around because they just lost some sort of accreditation. Yeah. Because of like the fact that they don't have the right veterinarians on staff. And people were pretty upset, but they're still around. You can still do tours and stuff there. Hmm. Okay. On the 8th of October, by midnight, evacuations had begun. By 1 a.m. on October 9th, the fires had reached the Santa Rosa city limit. And just to give you an idea of how far from, if, you, if you're driving to Calistoga from Santa Rosa, that's about a 30-minute drive. So they, <laughs> those fires went from about 10 p.m. to 1 p.m. They went that far, which is just unbelievably fast for a fire to travel. It just it boggles the mind. I've driven to Calistoga before, and I just can't imagine fires traveling in the period of three or four hours, traveling all the way to Santa Rosa from there. It's crazy. But and that's what happened because the, um, the winds were gusting that much. By 2 a.m., the winds had reached the hurricane speeds. And at this point, tens of thousands of people were evacuated with no notice. And they had, by no notice, I literally mean no notice, including some of them did not even get somebody knocking on their door. They just had fire that they had to run from. It was just such a crazy, crazy time. Yeah, Luckily, people will describe in the paper, like they literally just looked out their window or neighbors came and knocked on their door and they're like, well, there's fire. We need to go. Yeah. Luckily, that was not our experience. We weren't that close to the fires. We were um, a little south of them. 
and there's a lot of a lot of suburbia between us and the fires. But the people at the north part of town, they had almost no notice whatsoever. And uh, so, unfortunately, a lot of them, not a lot, but some people did perish because, you know, they were asleep. So the Coffee Park and Fountain Grove neighborhoods were devastated. Anybody interested can look up pictures. They have like before and after pictures. You can see what these neighborhoods looked like, like overhead, satellite. They have pictures from the ground. There was a ton of news coverage at the time. And a lot of these photos are still available on the internet if you want to go look them up. Some just crazy, crazy stuff. And there's, you can find like videos of people in their car, like trying to get out of the areas that are on fire. And they're just like crying and praying to God and hoping their car doesn't burn up because there's traffic. And it's, it's just uh, pretty terrifying, actually, to go and go back and watch some of this stuff that, you know, like I was watching earlier. Um, so the damage was kind of strange and ether and ETA were sort of alluding to this earlier because the wind was so erratic, you'd have like a whole neighborhood would be burned down, but there'd be one house left standing. I actually, a friend of a friend who lives in Fountain Grove, her house in Fountain Grove was still there. All her neighbors, it was gone. It was all gone except for her house was still standing there, you know, and there was every house was turned to ash, but there'd be like the trees looked fine. Like the trees didn't get burned. Some of them or you know, just really weird looking stuff like that. And I think it's because the wind was so, so strong that it would just blow the fire through an area in just a matter of seconds, you know, everything was set on fire. So I think that's why you get some really weird burn patterns like that. Uh, unfortunately, other things were lost as well, like the historic round barn, which was, I don't know how old, but it's like from the 1800s and, you know, that burned flat. Is it a venue too? I think they had like weddings and stuff there. Yeah, it was just a really awesome historic place that's just gone. It's just gone now. It's just burned up. Uh, Hilton Hotel was destroyed. A Kmart burned down, but, And you I know. think their Kmarts are gone now. That was one of the last Kmarts in California. I think they yeah. just closed the last one. So there's no more Kmarts. Yeah, they would have gone out of business anyways, probably. But um, the gym across the street and all the other structures near the Kmart and the media area, they're fine. But if you go a couple blocks over, restaurant burned to the ground. Or, you know, cars would be burned up and the building next to them wouldn't be. It was just like really weird. And like the reason I know this is because I'll go, uh, the, I'm talking about the north part of town. We live you know, a lot south of that, but sometimes I'll drive up there for whatever reasons. It's more of like an industrial part. There's not a whole lot of houses where the Kmart was, but like for months and months, those build it, like they couldn't get to it. There's too much burned up, burned up stuff. So he would just be driving through town and there'd just be burned down buildings and burned down cars and stuff for a long time. Um, they've luckily they've, you know, cleaned that stuff up by now, but it was quite some time for them to clean that crap up. But uh, yes, there was just, it was really weird. Like some, some buildings would burn and nothing else next to it would. And then sometimes the whole neighborhood except for one building would burn. But anyways, the lot where the Kmart was is still empty to this day. And that just kind of illustrates that even though we've rebuilt a lot, these neighborhoods still haven't been rebuilt. And the, you know, a lot of the damage is still, we're still with it today. I mean, it's, it's something that's going to be lasting for a long time. It's not something you can just recover from in a year or two, you know, the the city still has not rebuilt. Well, a lot of the lots are empty and that's, that could be a whole episode in itself, like the housing market yeah. in Northern California. But if you drive around, these lots are empty because it costs so much money to rebuild these homes. Right. Well, and in, like I mentioned earlier, investors, they were, um, you know, and still are trying to buy lots and houses and flip them. So like these empty lots, I was looking at empty lots before the fires and 
sort of in the ballpark of 50,000 to 70,000, you'd get a lot in a really good location, you know, like near the woods or whatever, near a park, you know, somewhere you'd want to live. And after the fires, those, uh, those numbers went up to, you know, at least 200,000 and as much as, I don't know, five to 700,000, depending on where the lot was like in the Fountain Grove neighborhood, the Fountain Grove area that burned down, that was like where a lot of the wealthy people lived. And those lots were going, I don't know if they still are, but they, at one time they were going for like half a million plus for just the lot. So instead of buying a house in a different state, you too can have a lot in a burned down neighborhood surrounded by other burnt down neighborhoods. Yeah. Well, they've, I've driven by it a few times. They've actually rebuilt a lot of Fountain Grove. Not, yeah, they are still building. They're still building. It's not entirely, but I mean, you know, there's so much to so many house, thousands of houses. I said 5%. That doesn't really do it just, I mean, like thousands of houses were burned down and they're still rebuilding. You know, they still haven't rebuilt all of them. To move along here, two medical centers were evacuated with employees using personal vehicles to get patients to safety. And I just wanted to mention that one just to say thanks to those employees. They didn't have to do that. But on the other hand, that's how fast these fires were moving is they didn't have time to locate proper vehicles to evacuate everybody. It's like, okay, get them out now because <laughs> the fire's coming, you know. Luckily, I think those medical centers were saved. That was, um, what was it, Kaiser and Sutter, I think. But yeah, so they, those didn't burn down, but it was a close call for those. And they were definitely in the area where the ashes, hot ashes were coming down and those buildings could have caught on fire. A uh, part of the landscaping did. So it definitely came pretty close to the to yeah. the hospitals. I imagine there was a lot of firefighters doing their best to keep it from, you know, from going up as well. So as the day went on, the damage only got worse. A senior housing complex was destroyed, schools, wineries, and even a performing arts center that was damaged. Uh, it wasn't just houses. There was a lot of stuff that was lost. In the following days, there were even more evacuations. People in remote areas sometimes only had one way out, and the road would be surrounded by flames as they escaped. On the 12th, the home of late Peanuts creator Charles Schultz was destroyed. His widow escaped unharmed. By the 14th, the fire was 44% contained, and by October 31st, it was totally contained. So that's, a, in a really short summary, you know, what happened during the fires. Now, after the fact, Cal Fire investigated what happened, because there were a lot of reports of PG&E equipment, you know, basically causing the fire. All of the individual fires that happened around this time, you know, we're talking about not just the Tubbs fire, but the firestorm in general. All of those individual fires were found to have been caused by PG&E equipment, except for the Tubbs fire. They determined that the Tubbs fire was caused by incorrectly maintained electrical equipment owned by a private landowner. Nobody really believed it, especially in light of many people reporting the PG&E equipment blowing up. <laughs> but that's what they said. Uh, some estimates put the potential liability, now this is at the time, Nobody really knew until after the fact what the liability was. But at the time, they thought the potential liability of the Tubbs fire might be as much as $17 billion. Now, usually when a utility has something on somebody's property, like a power line, they have an easement on that property. So they own the stuff on your property, and they actually have a right to come onto your property, like to say, read your meters and stuff. They own those meters, and they own the wires going to those meters, and they own the right to come and investigate, repair, and inspect that stuff whenever they want without the homeowner's permission. 
that's an easement. So most of the time, that's how it works. So when they were saying, uh, it wasn't our stuff, it was somebody else's stuff, right away, everybody is kind of suspicious because that's not really how it works. But even if it was that way, nobody believed them anyways because they started all of the other fires <laughs> of 2017, you know. Trying to look into this a little bit more to find, you know, which equipment was privately owned that actually started the fire, I couldn't really find anything concrete. I went through like newspaper articles, discussions, and all this sort of stuff, and no, you can't find anywhere what specifically caused it. Was it, you know, an easy bake oven? Was it, you know, a pressure cooker? Was it, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining equipment? Nobody knows. They, I mean, if it was private stuff, why didn't they say exactly what it was? And that, you know, another reason why it's kind of suspicious. Cal Fire put out an 80-page report. Uh, a lot of important parts were redacted. At least that's what I read in a local paper. And there's links to this report, but when you click on them, they're not actually on the Cal Fire website. So that's not really suspicious, right? You can no longer find the report online. <laughs> um, maybe you could request it. I don't know. But I started taking notes for this one today, so I didn't have time to request it, unfortunately. I should start doing my notes on Mondays. <laughs> but I mean, the whole thing is very suspicious, right? What, why would they redact part of the report? And the article I read said, I think this said that they redacted things like their investigative procedures and things like that. Like, why would they redact that stuff? Like important parts of the investigations. Well, yeah. So you can't use it in court later. Yeah. And the, the fact that, uh, that the website no longer even links to it is highly suspicious in my opinion. The other fires were all started by PG&E, uh, I keep stumbling over that, <laughs> PG&E equipment. But the fire that was by far the most costliest, uh, more costly than all of the other fires put together, was somehow mysteriously ruled not PG&E's fault. And the report was redacted and can't be found. I mean, sure, that sounds, sounds reasonable, right? It's kind of funny. I'm sorry to, to make a quick little note. There, a lot of the incidents that I, you know I've looked at here, um, it seems like there's plenty of reports that have been redacted, or it seems like the uh, researchers involved, whether you want to call them scientists or whatever field they may be in, that relates to the the incident. You know that they may be talking about. There's a lot of uh, you know to, to to quote the title of this episode, Tom Fuller and shenanigans that seem to be surrounding some of these incidents, you know? Yeah, there, there is for sure. Yeah. On December 9th, even though they were never technically found uh, guilty or uh, responsible through the investigation, the official investigation, on December 9th, 2019, they accepted liability for the Tubbs fire. But this was part of a, a larger court action, law, lots of lawsuits, bankruptcy filings, and all kinds of other stuff. That I mean, you could do many episodes just on all the legal proceedings, but in a nutshell, they were able to uh, bundle all their fires together and get a you know a discount savings on the bundle, <laughs> you know, and not having to pay the full amounts. But rather than go through all those legal proceedings, which would take years and years, I imagine they accepted liability for the Tubbs fire, which tells me they probably would have been found liable for it anyways eventually. But they wanted to do that so they could sort of. Um, circumnavigate the existing lawsuits and bundle it into their settlement for other fires and therefore get a smaller amount that they had to pay back for it. You know, if they didn't think that that was going to be a thing, if they didn't think they would have to pay for it eventually, then they would never have done that. So 
it's they kind of admitted that they did it, even though they swore up and down wasn't our equipment. But I have a couple of really short quotes here. It's not going to be my normal thing. Don't worry. <laughs> and this one is for this is one is from attorney Roy Miller, who represented 1,200 people that were suing PG and E. PG and E cheated on maintenance of its grid to the point that the grid became unsafe to operate during our annual high winds. So unsafe that the grid itself failed and ignited many catastrophic wildfires. Oh wait, no, that was Judge Alsup. Sorry, I got him mixed up. So that was one by an actual judge who's saying, yeah, you guys suck. Now, the attorney Roy Miller said, the bottom line is the Cal Fire report finds an unknown event as the cause of the fire. The report is wrong. We have witnesses who saw fire down low to the ground where PG and equipment, PG and E equipment was. I can't say PG and E. What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> but yeah, so those are just a couple of quotes from people, you know, involved in the litigation. And I, I like especially the one from the judge, because that's an actual judge saying that PG&E cheated on maintenance. Sounds so, like a Judge Judy kind of a situation. You remember Judge Judy? Yeah. Yeah. And PG &E, <laughs> PG e can't sue the show because the judge said that, not me. <laughs> she was so sassy. She was. Yeah. To bring it back to the maintenance and everything. So allegedly, um, this is something that there, you know, I haven't been able to prove or uh, no journalist has to my knowledge or whatever, but allegedly PG&E, you know, some people said, I don't know who, but some people allegedly PG&E has a budget for maintenance, such as trimming trees and equipment repair. Also, allegedly, instead of using that money to repair stuff or make sure trees don't fall on power lines and start horrendous fires, they allegedly kept the money and bought more yachts and private islands for themselves. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's, there's actually a lot of discussions about that because they did get caught. Um, I forget the exact case. I was trying to find it, but I ran out of time. But I'm pretty sure they got caught, allegedly got caught. Uh, they, you know, taking millions of dollars for like a tree trimming fund and, you know, using that for something else like, you know, private islands or whatever the hell. And they got caught and penalized for it. And anybody who's not familiar with this area, it's the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of trees here, a lot of forests and a lot of that stuff. And sometimes they'll have power lines going straight through those areas. And they're supposed to keep the trees clear of the power lines because the trees, you know, branches and whatever will fall all the time. And guess what happens when a tree falls onto a power line? Often it'll break the power line or cause some kind of short and stuff catches on fire. So they're supposed to take care of that, but they don't. And their equipment is not maintained. Somebody posted a picture um, on Twitter at the time. I think it was, I think it was Twitter. It was one of those social media places. And, you know, cause at the time I was following this stuff every hour of every minute, even sometimes I was just watching you know, with bated breath to see if my home would be burned down. And one of the things I saw was uh, somebody was posting a picture of a hook that, you know, they use like, um, like hooks to hang the power lines. I guess they're not always secured, like really, really fastened down, but the hook is there so that it can like kind of move around on the wind a little bit. And this hook was like probably from the 1920s. And you could see in the, the, ho the close up of this big giant hook, how over the years, from swinging around just a little bit, it had eroded the metal. And there was just out of something that probably started as like 10 inches of metal. There was just like half an inch of metal left. And you're like, dude, that thing is going to fall anytime. There's a gust of wind that thing could just break and fall. And then that power line is just going straight down to the ground and causing more problems. So yeah, they, 
the infrastructure that they're supposed to be taken care of is not taken care of at all. And, uh, you know, before I finish up my little bit here, I just want to put out a, a statistic. Many of you may be familiar with Richard Ramirez, the infamous, infamous night stalker. He killed 14 people before he was stopped and sentenced to death. How many more people need to die? Is this a symptom of a hopelessly corrupt government that will put campaign donations ahead of the safety of people? Did I say how many people died in the tubs fire, by the way? I don't think I said that. Uh, I don't think so. I think it was 22 people. I swear I took that in my notes somewhere. It was, uh, you know, enough. <laughs> more, than, more than what Richard Ramirez did. And that was just one event. And there's more than enough on the list. We could probably do 10 episodes on this kind of stuff. It's actually kind of a funny uh, side note there. The town that we grew up in, uh, Richard Ramirez actually killed a, a family of three, I, th- I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think that's three people. What a fun yeah. little statistic. Uh, a couple doors down from where I used to live. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. The punchline of the whole thing, which um, we already mentioned earlier a little bit, was that we now have the privilege of paying for PG&E mistakes. Whenever they're found guilty of something, they can just tack the penalty on to the bills of ratepayers. And, you know, and just to compare this to the Night Stalker, what if the Night Stalker killed one of your loved ones, but the courts decided that you had to pay for the gas that he used to get there or the dinner he had the night of the murder? It's just insane. It's absolutely insane that the government allows PG&E to make us pay for what they're doing to us. It's, I, I don't know of any other case where this has happened. It's just absolutely it's insane. Unfair. It's horribly unfair. Uh, there, there's no penalty, there's no punishment, and there's nothing stopping them from doing it again. If the government's like, yeah, go ahead and tack this onto the bill, they're like, oh, great. Well, we can just keep on not maintaining our equipment and letting people die because there's nothing stopping it. There's no reason not to. It'll cost us money to maintain this stuff. So therefore, let's just not maintain it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's just crazy. And this is the sort of stuff you see with a monopoly that's not municipal, but a private company. It's just really bad. You, you don't want it at all. I don't know why our government allows it. It's, it's you know, kind of mind-boggling, actually. And that's the mind-boggle of the week. So now we already <laughs> we mentioned, we mentioned this as well earlier, but now to solve this problem when there are windy days or red flag days, PG&E just kind of shuts off the power to very large thousands, tens of thousands of people. <laughs> they, you know, they could fix all this equipment. They could trim the trees, but instead, nah, let's just flip the switch until the wind slows down a little bit. And that's the solution, I guess. And it kind of feels like they're giving the middle finger to the people that they have victimized. You know, it's, uh, it's not no good. No good at all. Doesn't seem like they care all that much. No, like, I genuinely no, like <laughs> it's, it's hard to give a crap when you're sleeping in silk sheets. Right. And first, I of, suppose I, I definitely want to say, so I actually know some PG and E employees, you know, some of the, the people who actually, um, work for the company, not run the company. They're good people. All right. They're, they're not bad people. They're not the ones causing the damage. They're not making these decisions. They're just doing their jobs to, you know, provide and repair the infrastructure that makes our life possible. So I got nothing against those people. It's the people at the very top making these decisions that they have to know is going to lead at some time or other to yet another disaster because there have been disasters going on decades and decades with PG&E. This is not a recent problem, although the one I'm talking about is recent. This is not a new thing at all. 
But after, so I mentioned earlier, I might talk a little bit more. Um, I won't go into too much depth, but in 2018, we saw even more fires, including the Camp Fire, which broke the record for the deadliest and most destructive in California's history. And it was the most expensive in the world in terms of insured losses. And it was, once again, started by PG&E equipment. This time around, there were 85 deaths and one person missing, 153,000 acres burned, and more than 18,000 structures destroyed. The town of Paradise, California, was swallowed up by the flames almost immediately after the fire started, and the whole town was burned to the ground. Including parts of the hospital there. I actually have a, a co-worker who lost their job because they closed the hospital. Yeah, the hospital, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's nobody there anymore to go to the hospital. That's correct. Parts of the hospital were open, but the community was devastated, so they closed the hospital. And they will probably never rebuild no, that area, no. I imagine. But also the towns of Magalia, uh, Butte Creek Canyon, and Concow were also destroyed. The cost was estimated somewhere around $17 billion. And to put that into perspective, PG&E is currently worth $23 billion. So yeah, they're never going to pay for any of this stuff. I mean, maybe the pay rate rate payers, but I mean, the, there's more destruction been caused by them just in 2017 and 2018 than they could ever possibly hope to pay off, even if they sold off every bit of their company. It still, still would never happen. That's the short, short version of the 2018 fires. But if we ever do another episode on PG&E shenanigans, which we could, um, maybe I'll dedicate some more time to that because, you know, there's a lot more to it than just that. And uh, to finish off on the fires and to explain how maybe they're getting away with such things, according to the organization Public Campaign Action Fund, whose goal was to reduce special interest money in American politics, during the 2008, during 2008 and 2010, PG&E spent $79 million on lobbying. Gee, they might have spent some of that on trimming trees, maybe. They didn't pay taxes despite a profit of $4.8 billion, and they got a $1 billion tax rebate, and they increased executive pay by 94% for its top five executives during that time. Wow. Two-year period. Two-year period we're talking about here, 2008 to 2010. Again, there's plenty more there that we could go into as far as like corruption. Uh, there's There's been corruption with them being in cahoots with the regulatory agencies. I could go on and on and on and on. But um, now I think I'll turn it over to one of the other agents. How about Agent Ether? Because she actually has conspiracy theories to go with these fires. I do, you know, instead of... Uh... <laughs> instead of what <laughs> nothing so i do so um i'd like <laughs> to start with uh the 2018 fires there was a congresswoman marjorie taylor green who posted on social media i think it was facebook specifically although it's been deleted about the rothschild uh jewish space lasers have you heard about this what Anytime you mention the last name Rothschild, that might ears perk up. I can tell you that much. <laughs> but, but they're not just space lasers. They're Jewish, Jewish space, space lasers. lasers. So in uh, collaboration. Wait, 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 hold on. How does that work? Do they put like a little, uh, what are those little things they put on their head? Like a, a, yarmulke? a yarmulke? Do they put like a yarmulke on the satellite? <laughs> yarmulke so, lasers? Do they, do they send up some of that bread on the satellite? Like what makes the satellite Jewish? I didn't know that G- satellites could have religions. So specifically, <laughs> conspiracy theorists thought that there was orbiting in outer space above the earth some sort of directed energy weapon 
or maybe a failed clean energy experiment where it was a space-based solar generator and it beamed the sun's energy back to Earth and accidentally started the fire. And either <laughs> lasers or a, you know, some sort of space-based solar generator would explain some people's claims that they saw blue beams of light coming down during the fires. Hmm. I couldn't find huh. any videos, but they're out there. That's really interesting. Blue beams of light. Now, were there a lot of witnesses? No, but there were some. They're <laughs> out there. I heard it from somebody who saw it on social media. Oh, I see. Okay. But no, there was this congresswoman um, from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she said, what would that look like anyway? A laser beam or a light beam coming down to Earth, I guess. Could that cause a fire? Hmm, I don't know. I hope not. and where does this come from there's a company solarin and uh they actually do have a a contract with pg and e they said they haven't launched anything yet and the idea is to collect energy by radio waves and convert it to electric energy for like uh, uh cell phone radio satellite signals that sort of thing so not quite the same idea and the contract ended up expiring because they said the whole project was was too expensive and the company went on to explain publicly that their satellites could not be and were not weaponized Hmm. so that's probably where the theory you know came from initially but if they deny that they launched them and they deny that they were weaponized that's what you would say if you weaponized them Exactly. They totally weaponized those. Otherwise, they would they would actually, no, they would still say it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the important thing, it was in collaboration with PG&E. So that's kind of strange. Like, why, why would they be interested in, you know, these space lasers? Well, because it was a failed energy experiment. Or, again, I'll mention they were trying to clear the way for this rail system. And this isn't the first time that somebody has proposed a similar theory. In Australia, there were a lot of fires, and they believed not only that there were lasers, but exploding smart meters to make way for the train network. And if you go online, they say you can see where there's maps that parallel locations of the fires and where a rail network might be. Hmm. Interesting, but it might also be that you'd put a rail network through where people live. And (laughs) that's also where the houses burn down is because that's where people live. There's a lot of smart meter conspiracies too, though. You know, they track uh, real-time energy usage now. They slap these on your home and every 1.4 seconds, they emit a low wattage frequency and they transmit all this data about how much energy you're using in your house. Well, there's this group stop smart meters and they're fighting for health, privacy and safety here in California. They're worried about uh, radiation the same way you might be worried about cell phone radiation. And in Marin, they've actually banned the use of smart meters. Marin is a small town by San Francisco up really? in the North Bay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I can tell you, I thought you were going to talk about the smart meter conspiracy where the rates went up when they installed them. And I can tell you that when we were in Southern California and um, it was uh, Southern California Edison, they put in the smart meters, our bill went up. And that's a real conspiracy that, uh, you know, everybody's bill went up as soon as they got this smart meter going. So they think that they used it to sort of manipulate the, um, how much you were using or whatever. 
that's a real conspiracy. They tested those meters and of course they found that, ah, there's nothing wrong with these meters. It's all fine. This works the way it's, the way it's supposed to. It's all working correctly. But um, my experience is that our bill definitely went up. <laughs> but I thought, I thought you were going to talk about that one when you mentioned smart meters. I, I could. So many conspiracies around PG&E. Oh, there's tons of them. I actually have a sports conspiracy. I missed that episode, but then I found one in relation to PG&E, if you want to hear about it. It's a little late, but why not? <laughs> this was actually way back in December of 2011, and I don't follow um, sports like at all, but apparently there was a game and it was reported in multiple newspapers that the 49ers president and CEO Jed York was hosting PG&E CEO and Anthony Early in a private suite in Candlelight Park, which I think is right here in San Francisco, during a game. And the lights went out not once, but twice. And the first time it lasted 20 minutes, and the second time it lasted 15 minutes. And some people think the lights were rigged to go out because there was a quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, who had a bad ankle, and the 49ers did go on to win the game. Now, PG&E claims they had nothing to do with the blackout. They blame San Francisco because they owned the equipment. And so it's not actually their equipment. And this was a sellout game. There's like 70,000 people in the stadium. Luckily, there wasn't, you know, any shenanigans as far as the <laughs> Can you imagine goes. the whole stadium starts panicking? Go, ah! Oh, that, that would be horrible. Everybody just screams and starts running. But the park was the only PG&E customer affected by the blackout. Wow. Yeah. That is kind of weird. Kind of weird. It's a little suspicious. Well, you want to talk about suspicious in the NFL, there's plenty of stuff you could bring up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, how the Super that's Bowl a, I just watched was totally rigged. <laughs> but that's, Yeah, possibly. It came down to pretty much one referee call. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to get too much into it, but there were fouls the whole game that were not called. And then in the very last minute, I don't know, last couple of minutes or whatever, when uh, you know when the Rams were getting towards the end zone, they all of a sudden started calling things that they had ignored the whole game. Like, you know, grabbing somebody's face mask and pulling them down. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do that. But anyways, <laughs> let's get back to the show. All right, I have one more PG&E conspiracy. You guys have probably heard and talked about it. It's the free energy suppression theory. And this would involve not only PGE, but you know, utilities around the world. And that's that technology is actually pollution-free and zero cost. It's already out there, but since it threatens the very business model and even the global economy, it's oh, kept secret. Yeah. Yep, I've heard this that This goes all one, the way yeah. back to Nikola Tesla. Yeah, yeah and he's, he's definitely a whole episode in of himself, but, oh, you know, multiple if episodes he invented sure. a way to transmit electricity, you know, without wires, without loss of electricity then that would be something that the electric companies and maybe even governments would want to suppress. Because profit above all else, right? Yeah. So supposedly Nikola Tesla was developing a wireless transmission of energy. He had a project doing that. He built like a big giant tower and he's trying to figure it out. And um, I'm paraphrasing. I, I haven't, I read about this a long time ago, so I'm probably getting some of the details wrong, but whoever was funding, some rich dude was funding the research and, you know, he asked Tesla, 
all right, well, how are we going to charge people for this if it's wireless and anybody can use it anytime they want? And Tesla's like, uh, oh, no, no, we're not going to charge people. And then they, okay, you know what? We're cutting your funding off right now. <laughs> There's not a chance you're doing this. And then, of course, we got what we got, which was, you know, the the uh, electrical grid that we still have to this day, actually. Yay. <laughs> but we have smart meters, though. <laughs> yeah, they're very smart at uh, charging us more money. Yeah. All right, Ether, was that all of the conspiracies you had for us? That's what I have today. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to Agent ETA. I believe he's going to talk a little bit about some shenanigans in Hinkley, California. Oh, I sure am. Well, just to make a quick a quick uh, side note on the uh, that funder of Nikola Tesla that felt so very, um, you know, uh, salty about what he had did. Uh, it was J.P. Morgan, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, it was right. J.P. Morgan, which was a big, a big, a big tycoon of his time. We may have touched on him briefly in the past, and he's involved in some stuff that would definitely be at home on this show, J.P. Morgan, I mean. But Oh, uh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. maybe something for another time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Basically, the, the whole Hinkley uh, situation had everything to do with groundwater contamination. And so, supposedly, from 1952 from, uh, to 1966... PG&E had had dumped uh, something in the order of 370 million gallons of uh, chromium number six, I think it was. Chromium number six, uh, in different reports, and some of these reports have been recounted, and it seems to be quite suspicious the way they have been recounted, some of these reports, but it seems that chromium number six does uh, cause uh, uh, cancer in humans when ingested. And um, so a lot of this had been leached into the groundwater around Hinkley, California, in the Mojave Desert. And uh, actually, I live in the Mojave Desert currently. And um, I can tell you, when I bought my house here, I had to actually sign a piece of paper say, saying that I wouldn't sue PG&E uh, if I happened to uh, get cancer from, from drinking the water here, believe it or no not. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's you? kind of a funny thing because one of my coworkers that lives in the- the water? Do or do you drink bottled no, water? No, I do not. <laughs> Just curious. I drink bottled water mostly. Okay. Um, I oh, I mean, I do have like I do have like a Brita filter that I have like you know uh, filtered water, but I doubt that, that would filter that out. You know what I mean? No, I don't think I, I mean, so. I, I don't know if it will or won't, but yeah, yeah, I, I doubt that it would. But but at any rate, um, three hundred seventy million gallons of this stuff was was. Uh, basically dumped into a uh, a wastewater spreading pond, and um, that will leach into the ground and get into the groundwater. You know, so so basically, the long story short is that there had been a lot of people in Hinkley, California, that um, had caught, you know, had uh, basically developed cancer. And um, ever, I mean, most people our age and older will remember uh, the movie Aaron Brockovich. And then this this is probably the most famous case out of all P, PG&E cases because of that movie, you know. And um, who who was the main star? Was it uh, Cindy, Julia, Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts. Cindy yeah. Crawford? No, no, no. no. That was <laughs> Julia Roberts. That's right. Oh why yeah. Why do I, why do I mix up those two? Hey, they're both they're both uh, smoke shows in their day. But anyways, can't, can't go wrong. Uh, with and they're both one. still. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. Hot damn. <laughs> but anyways, so this is the most famous case out of all of them, probably just because of uh, the exposure to the public because of that movie. 
And so, like, uh, so Erin Brockovich uh, was a actual real person, and she was a, a clerk for um, a lawyer, and she actually started investing investigating the case in 1993. Uh, the lawsuit didn't uh, come to fruition until 1996, which is when, at the time, they had the largest class action settlement uh, in in U.S. history, which was 303 uh, 333 million dollars. Which is, I mean, even back then, like, that's a huge sum of money. I mean, nowadays it's still a huge sum of money, but I mean, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of freaking money. And they've actually, because of this, this whole Hinkley situation, they've, they've uh, paid out multiple times, like, throughout the years. And, um, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, like, it, it kind of pisses me off a little bit because, they were, they obviously were at fault. And, and to be quite honest, like this, that, that one statistic where they had uh, released um, chromium into the, the water table from 1952 to, to 66, I have a sneaking suspicion. Now, this has not been like verified or anything like that, but I don't know, man, with their history, I have to think that it's, it's probably a little bit broader of a time period than that. You know what I mean? That That's just what they were willing to admit to. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's it's a it's one of those things where it affected a lot of people in the area, and not just that area. There's no, there was another station that they had. Now, all right, so let, let me let me let me rewind a little bit. So chromium six was actually used um, as like a like a to to prevent like rust and stuff like that within within their um, compressor stations for the natural gas transmission pipelines. And, um, you know, it was, it was beneficial for them because, you know, you don't want rust in that kind of thing. It's going to gum up the whole freaking works and stuff or whatever, you know. But uh, so they also had a, a station in um, Topak, Arizona as well. And um, it seems like, like some of the same stuff may have been going on there as well. But uh, it, it's, it's crazy to me the amount of people that they uh, affected with this and, and like – how many people ended up in the area, like uh, getting cancer and stuff like that? It's not just like like it's like children and adults, you know. And and like Hinkley, California nowadays is basically a ghost town. And, and a lot of these people also, after this all came out in the um, in the public, like like they were kind of stuck. Like they couldn't get out of that area because everybody knew what had gone on, and they couldn't sell their house. They couldn't get out of there. Like their house was now worth absolutely nothing, basically. You know, so like, but they're like PG and E. Their 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 natural gas pipelines. I mean, it goes all the way from from you know Southern California to like the border of Oregon. That like there's there's a large area in which you know they have uh, influence on. I guess you could say you know, and uh, they paid out quite a bit of money. Uh, and they also had like it seems like they had influences on some of these uh, some of the studies that have been done. Um, to prove whether chromium number six had, you know, a cancerous ability to, to well, an ability to create cancer within humans, whether uh, if it was ingested. And they've gone, some of these studies have gone back and forth. Um, there was a study in uh, 1987, actually by a Chinese researcher. And uh, like he, he said pretty pretty plainly that like, yeah, like if you ingest this, then it's going to cause cancer and, and it caused cancer in a lot of like the lab rats and stuff that they were using to test it, you know? And, and, uh, it was funny because later on that, that, uh, statement or that report was actually redacted without 
his approval, as a matter of fact. And even his son was uh, interviewed, uh, and he said, like, it's an absolute, like, atrocity that this would happen, because I know for a fact my, my father was so adamant about this that he wouldn't have redacted this. He did solid research, you know, on the on this. And um, and this this uh, scientist actually, like, himself said that, like, no, I, I didn't, like, this is, like, uh, like, I didn't redact this. I didn't. I didn't say that this wasn't a thing. This was done, like you know, against my will, basically. You know, and I find that to be kind of uh, telling because, well, right, so so PG and E, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. I wouldn't be surprised if their lobbyists have quite a bit of influence over certain politicians and stuff. You know, and it would kind of make sense, like if they were able to swing things in their favor, favor towards the future, you know, because I think, you know, they're probably thinking towards the future. Like they're, they're probably trying to set themselves up for success as far as being sued. You know what I mean? Right. It kind of reminds me of the smoke, you know, cigarettes and stuff back in the, back in the, what was it? Fifties? Well, yeah, I mean, that was ongoing for a long time with, I mean, that's a whole other thing. The, the it kind of has the and, same feel to it that yeah. he's describing. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you want to talk about some of the, the biggest uh, class action lawsuits that have ever happened. One of them in, in involved the uh, tobacco industry. Um, but like, you know, I think, uh, what is it? The two bigger ones since then um, had to do with the, the Dow Corning Corporation. It was $3.2 billion in 1998. Wow. $3.2 billion. That's a, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but like collectively, like PG&E have, have, they've paid out quite a bit of money too, you know, but I think they've gotten kind of lucky according to like the potential damage that they may have done. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I, I know I'm kind of all over the place about this, but that's because my notes were erased. So, so fuck you windows. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where there's a lot of information about about this topic, and uh, it's all over the place. Like it's it's very easy to find like uh, plenty of information about the Hinkley groundwater um, contamination. So like, like we're running a little bit late, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on there, and I'm going to use that as an excuse because my notes were erased by Windows. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where, well, I mean, all right. So one of the things that kind of stands out to me is is like the profit over everything else like that kind of ideal when it comes to like corporations that like like don't get me wrong i love capitalism but not capitalism out of control which is what we have now you know like when you when you have a, a government that is so willing and able to be influenced by lobbyists and stuff this is the kind of shit that you get you get people taking being taken advantage of and you get companies private companies in particular well i mean all companies really that you know but anyways um when they make big mistakes like this it doesn't seem like there's anybody that is actually ever held to the fire and actually like 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 nobody actually spends jail time or is actually really um held accountable and i like that's so damn frustrating man like it's they they have influenced Thousands upon thousands of lives with many of the mistakes that they have done, that they have, you know, they have made, you know. People have died. And, and it's, like, it's like, where does this end? Does it ever end? And if you think about it. Yeah. If you think, and, if, well, not just that, but people have suffered. There's, there's been a lot of talk about there basically, you know, the government 
taking possession of their assets or purchasing their assets from them so the investors don't get screwed because, you know, God forbid, investors lose money. But um, you know, there's been a lot of talk of that. But just imagine this company, they're pretty much as nasty as you get. So if the government said, all right, PG&E, we're going to tell you forcibly, we're going to purchase all your crap from you. And now we're going to run the electricity grid. I'm pretty sure that there's been like backroom discussions where PG&E has said, basically, you know, this is not, I have no, no basis for this whatsoever other than my imagination. But I mean, imagine what PG&E would say. They might say something like, well, if you do this, we're just going to shut off all the power. We're going to destroy parts of the grid. It'll take you decades to repair this stuff. You'll never do it. So the government's kind of like, well, shit, I guess we're stuck with you then because they can't force PG&E's hand. PG&E has a lot of mm-hmm. power in the situation to, you know, to destroy their, <laughs> their infrastructure, you know, before the government could take it over. So I imagine there's been also some sort of blackmail like that going on as well. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the craziest things also is like, all right, so when it comes to like that particular situation where they had, uh, they had dumped a bunch of uh, water tainted with chromium-6 between 1952 and 1966, they didn't even notify anybody until 1987 about that. Like, wow. All right. So they, they obviously weren't like too concerned about it, even though they knew this is, you know, I mean, it's it's a, a, a toxic uh, material. I mean, I don't know if that's you know a technical term to be used with it. To be quite honest, but it, it has been proved in multiple different studies that chromium six does cause cancer and and like rats and stuff. And rats are somewhat close enough to the, the human condition to where you could obviously they've been used so many times in in lab experiments, and that's why, right? Mm-hmm. But like. I don't know, man. It it, it, it kind of seems crazy to me. Like, and they've they've had many different payouts and stuff, uh, re, you know, related to this the situation, which I think is you know part of them trying to kind of just get ahead of it and and save some money. You, you know what I mean? And like they've even had like cleanup and stuff. Like they they've done you know they've they spent like something over like seventy hundred and fifty million dollars on like a, a remediation. I mean, not remediation. Um, efforts to clean up this thing but like the 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 area that is proved to have been contaminated has has been spreading steadily throughout the whole ordeal and it's still spreading from what i understand like they're not stopping it it seems like they they attempted to do like the first uh area that they tried to clean up was like something like 50 54 acres i think and you know it seems like they they did some effort they put some effort towards it but it, it hasn't stopped it. That's for sure. You know, um, it's still spreading from what I understand. They call it the plume, you know, and it's something like, was it like eight miles long and two miles wide or something like that? Dang. But I, I, like, I have a stinking suspicion. Like I said before, it's probably worse than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, and that's, I, that's I would, just one. I would have to assume like it, it's not proven. That's just one like incident. Who uh-huh. knows what else they've done that they haven't that they haven't been caught for? You know, <laughs> kind of scary to think about. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, what have they covered up that they haven't been caught for? But I mean, that's just the conspiracy side of my mind that thinks that. You know, yeah. You have to be able to prove it, I guess. Which, yeah, I guess there's plenty of things I've said that well, aren't necessarily proven throughout all the podcasts, but. And think of it this way too. Do you really think that we've caught them for one hundred percent of the nasty stuff they've done? Not a chance. You know? Nah. 
Doubt it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's, yeah, definitely not. I doubt it. Allegedly. Yeah, I bet there's stuff that's not in any memo that hasn't even been shredded because it's only whispered about in board meetings. And conspiracy shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Like That was a little kind of short, but that's the majority of what I have to say about it. Now that my notes have been erased by Windows updates. Yeah, I mean, you could go sorry. into a lot of detail for that case. if you. We, I mean, we could do a whole episode on just that case. But on the other hand, that's just a oh, summary yeah. of basically of what happened. You know, they, they polluted, they killed, and they paid for it. Well, I mean, I'm sure the ratepayers yeah. are paying for it, but you know. <laughs> well, they 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 tried not to, but then they had to. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you guys all have anything else to say in summary? I'm good. All right. I think I am good as well. Well, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange.